Father God, we come to Jesus because oh, how we need Him. He says so benevolently, thank you Jesus, that we could come, all of us who are weary and tired and sick and broken and exhausted and sin-soaked, that we can come to Jesus. What a privilege so we come to live. And Father, this preacher comes knowing that I'm about to declare the riches and the glories of Christ alone. And I am unable, I do not have the gray matter, the tongue, to be able to proclaim the way I should. The beauty of a Savior named Jesus. So I fall on Jesus. And I ask Him to use a broken vessel. Jesus, use me to speak Your Word. Father, our hearts cry out to You because it's You, Jesus, that is the bread of life and only You can feed our souls and our bodies and our beings. So we cry to Jesus to be fed. Father, may Your Spirit come with such power through the preaching of Your Word that we would leave here as Your ambassadors, as imitators of Christ, that we would leave here dancing for Jesus and the good news that He has rescued us and saved us and filled us with the Holy Spirit. Until that day, Jesus, where we can fly to You or that You will come to us We ask now that You would come with power and meet us and make us more like Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. The Covenant College is our denomination's college. Uh, It's also the place where two of our children go to college and all of our spare change. Um, But with Covenant College, they have a wonderful motto. They say this, In all things, Christ preeminent. And like any good organization, if they're going to have a motto, you want to make sure that everybody hears and understands your motto. So when you drive up on top of Lookout Mountain to this ridiculously remote, beautiful place, you will see a sign. It will say, Covenant College, in Christ, all things preeminent. Recently, uh, on a visit up there, actually as a part of a missions conference uh, that I had the privilege of participating in, uh, Katie and I stayed in one of their guest cottages. And in the restroom of the guest cottage, you will find a very nice framed sign. And that sign will say, please do not flush anything other than the toilet paper in this bathroom. Thank you. And maybe you can't read that from where you are, but it says in the bottom, in all things... Christ preeminent. Now, I love the motto and all, but is that going a little bit too far? I mean, how bizarre to be there in the bathroom and, you know, okay. Um, But maybe that begs the question, in what things should be Christ preeminent? In what things in our lives should Christ have? And the preeminence is not a word we use very often. Uh, Should Christ alone receive glory? In what things in our lives should Christ alone be the point, be the purpose? In what things about our lives should we live our lives for Christ alone? Today we continue our series called Our Sacred Foundation. And we are looking at 
these uh, reformational truths, actually they are biblical truths that the Reformation was able to bring to the surface. And great truths like our salvation is based upon solely God's grace alone. We've looked at that. It's just last week. Not only have we looked at that, we realize that this great salvation that we have by God's free grace that we never merit is by faith alone. Grace alone. By faith alone. And we realize that everything that we could have from God, all of the benefits, all of the life, all of the joy, all of the meaning by God's grace through faith are found in Christ alone. And there's where we find ourselves today, in Christ alone. And, and where do we find this authoritative truth is in Scripture alone. God's Scripture alone points us. This is our, our only rule that will direct us and how to live and glorify God. And, and then lastly, next week, we will see all this culminate in the glory of God alone. But today, we look at this, Christ alone. I spent a few days this uh, summer by myself wrestling with this question. Can Jesus be enough? Now, I I want you to know I've been a Christian for almost all my life. Of my 45 years, I'll tell you about 41 of them, by God's grace, have been knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in seminary, more than most guys. I spent a lot of time around God's Word, in God's church, 18 years alone at this church. And yet, even though all the time I've spent with Jesus, all the time I've preached Jesus, all the times I've tried to live for Jesus, the Holy Spirit called me away for me to wrestle with the reality, is Jesus alone enough in my life? I went to ask three questions. And these questions I'll have before us today are these. One, can the sacrifice of Christ alone free me? Can truly what Jesus did on that rugged cross, can that death, can His righteous life, can that resurrection truly alone free me? Secondly, Can the love of Christ alone compel me? Can I be compelled to live my life, to serve Him, to love you, to love my family? Can the love of Christ alone be enough to compel me? And lastly, can the life of Christ alone validate me? Can my life truly count? Can I be validated and hide my life in Christ alone. So if you want to follow along in your bulletin, you'll have an outline there for you with these three points. And the first one again is this. Can the sacrifice of Christ alone free us? And the way that this broke down is I was spending time with the Lord and I wrestled with this. I really came up with two things that God's Spirit was pressing upon me. Free us from what? And free us... To what? Now some of you here today really need to hear more of that first one. What is he talking about? What is this sacrifice of Christ alone going to free us from? And for many of us, 
maybe we've never looked at the other side of this coin and answered the question or asked or wrestled with the question, what does Christ alone sacrifice free us to? We need to look at both sides. First of all, let's look at this. Frees us from what? Scottish reformer John Knox. I'm going to read a quote of his. Uh, He's known as the Thundering Scott. Uh, We would look back to him for uh, digging out of Scripture our our form of government, Presbyterianism. Um, They said that uh, uh, the Queen of England was more fearful of John Stott on his knees than any other army. The thundering Scot, filled with the gospel and the spirit, changed Scotland, changed the British Isles, changed uh, our church and our country. I so love John Knox's ministry that I named one of our golden retrievers, Knox. After the thundering Scot, he's a cowering little golden retriever. He's completely misnamed. He's the sweetest dog you've ever met in the world. Knox is it. I'm telling you, the nicest dog ever, but he's not too thundering. One little clap of thunder and he runs the other way. Okay, let me get on to his quote. Not about my dog, for goodness sakes. Um, John Knox talks about freed us from what? He stated this. We affirm that our salvation is accomplished by the mediatorial uh, work of the historical Christ alone. He's basically saying in our English that we are saved according to what Christ alone has done for us. He says this. His sinless life And his substitutionary atonement, making payment for our sins, his sinless life and substitutionary atonement alone are sufficient for our justification. Um, His sacrifice alone is sufficient for us, sinners like us, to stand before a holy God and be declared not guilty. That's justification. And reconciliation to the Father. So Knox is saying that if we want to have salvation, we want a relationship with the Father, what Jesus alone is freeing us to is through His sacrifice that sinners like us can be loved by a holy God. We can be cleansed. We can be set free. He says, goes on to say this, We deny the gospel is preached if Christ's substitutionary work is not declared and faith in Christ and His work is not solicited us. Solicited. So what does Jesus alone free us from? Really, I think that there are a couple things. Let's look at two. Frees us from the penalty and the power of sin. It basically frees us to salvation. Scripture is very clear. All have sinned. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All deserve death. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. But God's grace through Christ, faith in Christ alone, a sinner now can receive a death row pardon. This is what Scripture is saying. That through the sacrifice of Christ alone, that sinners like you and me can be declared not guilty. Those deserving death can now be set free. What is Christ alone freeing us from? The penalty of sin. We deserve it. And now we can stand in Christ's righteousness alone, deserving heaven. Think about that. What an amazing thing God has done. We have been pardoned. Does anyone want to dance? Dance to Jesus. Listen, if you get this, if you know you deserve God's wrath for sin, if you know you deserve hell, and you receive His love and grace and forgiveness alone in Christ Jesus. That should cause us to want to get up as Presbyterians and dance. 
And be excited about what Christ alone has done. But it's more than that. It's through the sacrifice of Christ alone, we are not only freed from the penalty of sin, we now have been freed from the power of sin. As born-again new Christians, we now have a new nature that now has the ability to say no to sin and yes to godliness. For the first time as new creatures, we now can please God and do the works He has intended for us to do. We now are freed not only from the penalty, but also the power of sin. Let me hit pause and say that the power of sin is amazing. And the power of the flesh is amazing. Apart from Christ, all we have the power to do is sin. In Christ Jesus, a new creation, now we have the power not to sin or to sin. There's a day coming, Christian, that we'll no longer have the ability to even sin. Don't you long for that day? But right now, we live in that time where we now truly have the renewed ability to do have the power to conquer sin. But I know my life, and I know yours, that that flesh still rages, doesn't it? And I tell you, if we feed the flesh, it has amazing power once again. The battle is ours because now we're wrestling between the ability to not sin and the flesh that is still so strong. But does anybody want to sing? Sing to Jesus that now that we in Christ Jesus alone have the power over sin. That we can now live lives that are pleasing to God. So He's freed us from the penalty and power of sin. But He's done more than that. He's freed us from ourselves. Abraham Maslow in 1943 wrote a famous paper, a paper that was entitled A Theory of Human Motivation. It's become known as Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And many of you are familiar with that. It will basically look at the needs of a human being. And it starts at the basic need of uh, shelter and protection and food and relationships. And as, it, as you make your way up the pyramid, and the only way you make your way up to the, this pyramid of, of human uh, needs is for you to have those first rungs met. And as you have the first rungs met and the next one, the next one, you make your way up. And you know what this is the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? You know what's at the very, very top? It's this. It's human self-actualization. It says that the highest thing for us as humans is for us to come to the conclusion of self-actualization, to really know who we are and what we stand for. To really know ourselves, to discover ourselves, our, our inner being, and what makes us tick. Self-actualization is what was on the top of Maslow's highest need of hierarchy. What a pathetic reason for living. What a pathetic reason for living that the highest thing that we have is that we would find ourselves. That, that it's about all of our, our needs. That somehow we would be able to wrestle with the cosmos and life and our world that we would receive self-actualization. Listen, my brothers and sisters, that is where we live in this culture. That is where we live in the Western church. That is where we live in the American church. It's creeped into the church. It really has. The church sometimes has come. It's all about us. Sometimes it's all about our needs. I mean, we'll see people come and go from different churches saying, hey, how do I find self-actualization here? 
The gospel of Jesus Christ through Christ alone frees us not only from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, it also gives us a different reason for living. Something much greater than just ourselves. It lets us live for God and His glory. It lets us live for Christ alone. Christ alone says if you want to find life, here's life, come and die to yourself. That pyramid's all wrong. The highest level is laying your life down at the cross. Dying to yourself and becoming born again in Christ Jesus. The highest level is giving your life to Jesus who's given His life to you. And now loving God and loving neighbor is self. That is gospel realization. That is biblical realization. God is saying to us, in Christ alone, your life could be so much bigger than just your life. My brothers and sisters, don't believe the lie that our highest need is self-actualization. Our highest need is God and His glory met in and through us through Jesus Christ alone. So what does Christ alone free us from? Man, it frees us from that sin. But it also frees us from ourselves. Does anyone want to live? Man, hearing this stuff should make us want to dance. It should make us want to absolutely sing. And it should make us want to truly live. But as I spent time wrestling with this, I was like, Lord, okay, I kind of get it by your grace. I I understand. I'm seeing it more clearly of what Christ alone has freed me from. But I really was wrestling saying, what has it freed me to? What What am I freed to? And the reality as you examine Scripture is this, is that it frees us in Christ alone to live as God intended us to live. The only way we'll ever be able to live the lives that our Creator, who in Him and through Him created all things, intended us to live is in Christ Jesus alone. And how has God intended for us, reflecting His image, beloved children of His that He created, how does He intend for us to live? I have three things I want us to think about. One is this. To live now in love with God. Free to what? Free to love God. Free to know Him. Free to no longer be fearful of Him. Listen, the curse that came because of sin has been absorbed in the body of Christ Jesus alone. The wrath was absorbed. He was like a sponge, not only taking our sin, but taking all the wrath that our sin deserves and absorbed it in His body. He broke the curse. He broke the power of death. That tomb was empty, declaring that Jesus lives and death no longer has victory. And now we have the privilege of being in love with Him, in love with a God who no longer is there a curse between us and a holy God. Now we have in Christ Jesus reconciliation. It was in Christ Jesus alone that He was reconciling the world to Himself. Because God so loved this world, He wouldn't give up on her, even when she was sinful. Even when you and I filled this place and polluted it with our sin, God still so loved us that Jesus would come to break the curse, to reconcile us to a holy God so we could be in love with Him. And you ready for this? He wants us to love Him not just as servants, but as sons and daughters. Free to what? Free to be a part of God's family. Free to be co-heirs with Christ. 
We are now free to receive all that the obedient son deserves because of his righteousness. It's given to us. We're now free to live life as God intended us. Loving our Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, our mind, our strength. No longer fearful of his wrath and curse to love them as our sons. Not only that, we're now free to love each other, our neighbors as ourselves. Free to what? Free to truly love each other. Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 35, hey, listen, the world's going to be able to identify you. And how they're going to be able to identify you is the way you love one another. You see, I've set you free and I've cleaned you up and I've made you whole and I'm making this relationship with the Father, this horizontal relationship intact. But it's not just about you and me in this relationship. It's about your brothers. It's 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 a vertical relationship as well. And I want you now to live as I fully intended humans to live, in love with me, in love with each other. Being able to forgive one another, no longer be petty, and no longer have yourself and self-actualization be ultimate. But truly love your neighbor as yourself. Truly care about them, their actualization in Christ Jesus, as you do your own. Free to what? Now free to imitate the life of Christ. Now free to, alter, uh, to imitate the life of your big brother, our Savior Jesus. Free to what? Free to truly live. Do you know that freedom? I mean, have you experienced that freedom from sin? Have you experienced that freedom from self? There is nothing like it. Just a quick reminder before we move on. Don't forget we live in a culture that thinks self-actualization is ultimate. Don't let it lie to us. Jesus is ultimate. And he has freed us. Christ alone frees us to truly live in Christ alone. So I wrestle with that question. The second question is this. Can the love of Christ compel us alone? If you know me, you know I'm an apple guy. I've loved a Macintosh products from a long time ago. For many, many years, I've, I've been a Mac guy. I've, I've been an iPod guy. I love them. Uh, I love the iPhone. It's an amazing, amazing gadget. Um, and recently went online this week, and I was so excited because, uh, and I'm not there a lot. I went on Apple's website, and it said that iTunes, it said tomorrow will be another day. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Tomorrow will be another day, but it'll be a day you'll never forget. And I'm thinking, man, I can't wait. What are they going to announce next? I mean, they've come out with some amazing things. And I almost stayed up all night thinking, what in the world is is Apple going to come out with that's going to change my life forever? That I'm going to remember this day forever. Look what they did for me. Some of you know what I'm going to say. iTunes announced the next day that they now were selling Beetle products. The Beatles were now available on iTunes. This is a day that I should never forget. That iTunes was now selling. Listen, I like the Beatles. You know, love, love me do, and I want to hold your hand. I mean, they had some great stuff. They really did. And I, I've actually gone on iTunes and tried to buy a Beatles song, and I'm glad that now I could buy a Beatles song or two. But change my life? I mean, a day that I'll never forget? Is it supposed to be so compelling? Are you kidding me? Jesus says that what should be the most compelling thing for us to live is his love. Now now listen, a lot of Christians think that maybe Jesus says the most compelling reason for us to live is his law. 
And a lot of people might think the most compelling reason for us to live is the fear of hell. And, and for some of us, maybe it's something else, but I love what Jerry Bridges did. Is he, is he is an amazing Christian man who's written some amazing books like uh, The Practice of Holiness and The Pursuit of Godliness. Uh, he realized as he was reading Scripture, this transforming grace of God alone, and he came to a startling conclusion that has changed my life as well. Jerry Bridges, this Christian on steroids, kind of, so to speak, spiritually, I mean, he, he was a giant. And all of a sudden, he realizes as he's reading Scripture and studying that God, listen to this, that God cares as much about why we do what we do as what we do. Now, most of you just said, what did he just say? Are you kidding me? No, according to Scripture, that God cares as much about why you do things as what you do. If you don't believe me, look at the way Jesus taught the religious people called Pharisees. They were tithing, they were giving, they were praying, they were going to church. They were doing all the churchy things. What Paul would say in the Philippians that that Steve read are rubbish compared to Christ. And Jerry Bridges, by God's grace, comes to this uh, passage in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that says, May the love of Christ compel us. May the reason of why we try to do the right thing, may the reason why we love God, why we love our neighbors, why we give away bags of love, why we love Restore Orlando, why we try to give shoes to Acapulco, why we try to do the right thing, may the love of Christ alone compel us. See, anything else is trying to earn it. I mean, is it the love of self that compels us to do the things we do? I mean, be honest. I mean, how many things can we look at in our lives to say, really, it's, it's the love of self? Is it the fear of God that compels us? Is it the praise or the fear of men that compel us? And I, I really wrestled with this one. Because God kind of showed me of the things I do for your approval. He, he showed me the things I do because I... I fear your reproach or the things I do because I love your praise. He showed me the things that I'm doing out of duty because I I thought it was about the law. And he showed me how little I do sometimes because he loves me. And I love him. And he's saying, listen, for you to live your life, I want you to be compelled by nail-crossed hands, pierced hands. I want you to live your life because I love you, because I love you, and I'm never going to stop. Is that the way to live? Can you imagine if God says, I want you to love, serve me, because I want you to be ridiculously scared of me? He's God. He could do that. I want you to serve me because the law demands you serve me. Or he could say, because he's good and he's benevolent and he's God, because I want you to serve me because of a love affair we're in. May the love of Christ compel us. They say that love causes you to climb the highest mountains. They say that love causes you to swim the deepest seas. I want you to think of Jesus. Love caused Jesus to climb the highest mountain of Calvary with your sins on his back. Love caused him to swim the deepest sea of God's wrath of your sin and your pollution. 
Christ's love alone has set us free. And Christ's love alone should motivate us to live. i got to tell you, there's a battle here. There really is. There's a battle here. Because I think it's harder to live our lives. Listen, I think it's harder to live our lives compelled by love than it is to try to earn it by the flesh. I mean, I really do. I think that in our flesh, in our nature, that we want to earn God's love. We want to be justified in our own self, in our own flesh. And I'm telling you, I think it's harder to live compelled by love than it is trying to complete the law by myself. Why do I think that? Because I keep on forgetting. I keep on trying to justify my standing. I keep on trying to earn God's sacrifice. I just sometimes want to be able to stand there by myself and say, look at me. Look what I've done. And you read Scripture and say, well, that's our... That, that, that's, that's filth. That's rubbish. Compelled by love alone. And lastly, can the life of Christ alone validate us? Can the life of Christ alone validate us? American poet Henry David Thoreau wrote in Walden, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Thoreau, there at Walden, looking at life, looking at men, saying that we are living our lives in quiet desperation. Why is he doing that? Because what Paul would say in Philippians 3 that we read, he says that basically the men, the mass of men, are trying to build their lives. We're trying to validate our lives on what Scripture calls the rubbish of life. Things like what we're born into. Things like our education. Things like what the world would say that would make us men and women. Things that this world has to offer to validate your life, my life. God says it's all rubbish. Of course the mass of men are living quiet desperations. Why? Because we're trying to build our lives on rubbish and pray that it doesn't stink. We're trying to build our lives on rubbish and hoping it has value. We're trying to build our our lives on the junk of this world and just hope that we'll be validated. And Jesus came to say, you don't have to build your life on that junk. Rubbish is rubbish, and it'll always stink. And really, the word rubbish that Paul's using in Philippians 3 is dung. Don't try to build your life on dung. Don't try to build your life on rubbish. It leads to quiet desperation or maybe more. Listen, how can Jesus be enough? How can Jesus really be enough? I wrestled with that. I said, you know, how can you be enough to validate my life? Jesus, can it really ever be enough? It's when my rubbish... It's not something I try to validate my life on. You know, how crazy is it for us to do that? Recently, we had some water damage. We had some water damage in our house. Uh, We actually had a toilet overflow. Apparently, in all things, Christ wasn't preeminent in there. I don't know. Um, But uh, we had some damage. I'm not going to point out who. Don't look over there. Don't look. They're feeling bad already, all right? But this led to some water damage. It led to removal of carpet. It led to drywall being ripped out. I mean, it was a mess. But the cool thing is it led to things being thrown out that you realize you got in your house, you know? Things that, like, clutter your entire house. We had to rip out carpet. It was amazing how many rooms we put all of our junk in to get a little carpet in. Thinking, are you kidding me? Look at all this stuff. So we decided, let's do the noble thing. Let's give our junk to somebody else. Let's send it to the goodwill. Hey, how do you determine what's going to go to the goodwill and what you're going to keep? How do you do it? Well, you know what? You've got to say, is it longer, any longer useful? I mean, 
If it might be useful, I'm going to keep it. I mean, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at jackets that no longer fit any of our kids thinking maybe we need it. It might get cold. And they might need to put a jacket on five sizes too small. I mean, come on, give it away. We don't need it. Why? Because you see, there's a fear. And the fear that I have is a fear that you have. And here it is. A fear that we'll give away something that we'll eventually need. There's a fear in us that we're going to give away something that we'll eventually need. When we give it to the goodwill, we finally have overcome that fear. And we pray that this that we no longer need, that we can no longer justify keeping up space, might be useful for someone else. Someone else might actually be able to fit into that jacket. It might be a blessing to them. You see, here's, what, here's the reality that is so beautiful. That Jesus says, all this world has to offer you that you might want to build your life on. Give it to Christ alone. Come and give it to me. Give me your rubbish. Give me your trash. No longer find your identity there. No longer find your security there. No longer find your joy there. Come and give your stuff to me alone. And as you do, you'll find your true identity, your true love. And you know what God does? He kind of gives it back to us. He says, as long as your life is found in Christ alone, I'm now going to give you this stuff, and I'm going to make an amazing work of art in it. And the only way it's going to be a work of art with all your stuff is if Christ alone is your point and your purpose. It was recently at Covenant College. We were there at the art barn and and the art project. Some of the professors thought it would be a good idea to take junk, to take rubbish, and make artwork out of it. So you walk into the barn, there's a bunch of stuff that people threw out, and they made into art. I thought this is pretty cool. I mean, this is stuff that was heading into the dump that now is on the wall. And they call it art. But listen, there's only one, there's only one artist that's good enough to take our rubbish and to make it worth putting up on the refrigerator in God's house. Only one. It's Christ alone. He takes all the rubbish of our lives and He washes us and He cleans us and He fills us and He makes us His workmanship. He makes us His work of art. And now He puts us in the world and says, look what I've done in Christ Jesus alone. Look at this work. This is my masterpiece alone. You know, uh, something happened about 8th or ninth grade. I... Uh, I played basketball with a guy named Greg Orlando. He's now a medical doctor. And somehow, I don't know how it happened. I promise I didn't do it on purpose. But somehow, Greg Orlando's report card got in my stuff. And my report card got in Greg's stuff. And so when I got home, I couldn't wait to show my parents that I had straight A's. That I was the highest honor. And it was the greatest thing. And I kid you not, Greg Orlando's report card went on my refrigerator. We had it up there. And all I could think about was the whooping that Greg Orlando was getting shown his parents by report card. <laughs> it's in Christ alone that he just, he says, I want you to take my report card. I want it to put it on the refrigerator of your life. That my life validates your life. It really does. That my righteousness validates you. That my blood cleanses you. That my life is enough for you. Listen, if, if, if Christ's life is enough for the Father to look at us and love us, shouldn't it be enough for us? Shouldn't it be enough? And yet, in craziness of sin and flesh, I'm trying desperately to validate my life apart from Jesus alone. God help us. In Christ alone are we forgiven. 
In Christ alone are we cleansed. In Christ alone is our pathetic life. Now, not what we have to live for. In Christ alone are we now motivated to love Him and love our neighbors as ourselves. In Christ alone, it's sufficient. It's enough. And we think about our sacred journey that we went on in Christ alone. That's why we Sabbath. We say, Jesus, you're enough to rest today. Jesus, you're enough with all of our resources. I'm going to tithe and trust you because you're enough. Jesus, it's enough for me to have my life of prayer now. Jesus, you're enough, and I want to meditate on that. Jesus, you're enough, and I want to come to your sacraments and be reminded that you're enough. Jesus, you're enough to worship. Jesus, you're enough. God in Christ Jesus took the rubbish and made it a work of art. And to put it on the refrigerator and say, look what I've done. In Christ alone. Let us pray. Why do I keep forgetting? Why do you make me preach a sermon that I'll forget by Tuesday and try to live my life compelled by something other than Jesus? That I'll try to sacrifice enough to have you love me? That I'll do something that wants my life to be validated apart from Jesus? Oh, what a wretch. Oh, what a fool. But God, thank you for reminding us that it's your report card that we wear. And that you've made this rubbish a work of art in Christ Jesus. And now you want us to to come to Jesus. And you want us to to sing to Jesus. And you you want us to dance before Jesus. and, And you want us to someday fly to Jesus. Jesus, would you be enough today? God, I pray for any man, woman, and child that thinks that they could stand in your presence on their own when you've offered them your own son. May today be the day they come to Jesus. But but Father, I pray for each one of your children here today that they would realize what work of art in Christ alone looks like. And that we now would live our lives journeying with you free because of the work of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.